Carefree Black Nerd is available on iTunes and SoundCloud and carefreeblacknerd.com. Please rate and review on iTunes, like, share, and comment on SoundCloud. Of course, let's keep this conversation going. Live tweet with me when you're listening to these episodes. Give me a quick little live tweet. Stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. Yeah, that's that. (laughs) Hello. Hey, (laughs) y'all. I'm back. Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a conversation about representation in comics and related media. I'm your host, Rain Coleman, and this issue covers the Atlanta Blur. <laughs> this right here is an automatic classic. This right here is an automatic classic. This right here is an automatic classic. Automatic classic. Auto- automatic classic. This right here is an automatic Uh, yeah, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, going through a little bit much right now and I'm doing my damnedest to stay up to date and uh, in constant contact with you all this episode or issue rather let me see I've um, been doing a lot of soul searching and by soul searching I mean just finding other obscure characters of color who I didn't know anything about some of you may know but I didn't know um, um, as those of you who listen to the Man podcast, uh, number 12 that I was on, you know that I uh, went to college in Atlanta, Georgia, and went to art school there and then transferred to Clark Atlanta University. And um, all the time I was there, I was still into comics and geeky stuff, whatever, but it was mainly about school and survival, hell, <laughs> working, going to school, hanging out with friends and going to see movies and parties and events and stuff like that and uh, I really enjoyed my time there but looking back on it um, and then even towards the time that that was winding down where I was relocating to Michigan I um, I felt that Atlanta was kind of untapped opportunity and it's so funny to say that because it's Atlanta of all places one of the largest major cities uh, in the country but when it comes to comics, like, you know, um, anyone who's seen Captain America uh, Civil War know that it was filmed in Atlanta. And there's a lot of things that are filmed there in Atlanta. Um, but the big fight scene at the end where uh, Ant-Man becomes Giant Man and everybody's having this all out broad, you don't get the sense that you're in Atlanta. It's just this is a place where they're fighting. And that's one of the drawbacks, I feel, of the Marvel Universe where I say over and over again, I'm not a DC guy, I'm going to retire that saying, because <laughs> as it's been shown after all this time, I actually do know a bit about DC characters. But what I like about DC Comics is that they may have these fictitious cities, but everything isn't happening in Gotham. Everything isn't happening in Metropolis. It's like spread out throughout the country. And that's something that Marvel has yet to do. And I mean, you had the West Coast Avengers and the Great Lakes Avengers and I believe Hawkeye, the Lady Hawkeye, the current one is in, ooh, I want to say San Francisco. I could be wrong. I know she's in California. Um, but I just, I feel like that's kind of a waste because as I said before, it just makes no sense. If everyone is based in New York, there's no need to have a threat. If Spider-Man is fighting Dr. Octopus and the Rhino and Electro and Kingpin in New York, well, Daredevil is right there. You know, um, the X-Men are right there. The Avengers are right there. It just makes no sense to me. And living in Atlanta and just getting used to the landscape and the social climate and, you know, the um, the different ways in which race works down there and just different institutions like going to the DMV to get a driver's license or, you know, having to pay a ticket. And, um, you know, and I don't know, the food and hair and fashion scene and being quote unquote black Hollywood. It's just like there was a lot of untapped potential for comics because I haven't found many that were based in Atlanta. That being said, uh, this week's character, Atlanta Blur, <clears throat> Stanley Stewart, uh, that's the secret identity of the superhero, the Blur, formerly Atlanta Blur. I choose to go with Atlanta Blur because. Hell, it just sounds better. Um, he was formerly Atlanta Blur of Squadron Supreme. 
He is a single, never married government operative and a corporate spokesperson from Earth 31916. He was created by J. Michael Straczynski. (laughs) My bad, Michael, if I said that wrong. I think it was right. Straczynski and Gary Frank. Um, He first appeared as Stanley Stewart, his civilian identity in Supreme Power number one. That's back in October of 2003. And then again, uh, as his alias Blur in Supreme Power number five in February of 2004. Uh, Stanley died in New Avengers volume three, number 24. And that was back in November of 2014. So just a few years ago, um, he had a pretty healthy run as we could see. So I tend to complain a lot about these characters of color being shafted, but clearly we see that he's had, uh, he had, he's had some time and I'll get into more about his death a little later on and like the significance behind that and why it happened. But, um, before getting into the history of the Atlanta blur, the Atlanta blur, uh, the history of Earth 31916 is that it is the home universe of an alternate squadron supreme. Now, I'm I'm so superficially aware of the squadron supreme and I hear I've heard, excuse me, a lot of people just through different podcasts and just through searching through stuff online and looking at some of the back catalog of the um 616 Squadron Supreme that that was a title in a book that people enjoyed and so I'm like okay that's fine I'll eventually get into it because I would like to reference the um, original team of the 616 which is established as our current universe but um, they've never been a team that I've kind of delved into and so with this being an alternate version it's kind of like you're getting the I want to say knockoff but the the uh the clone before the original but this doesn't read that way it still reads as an amazing story um just just like with anything else well i've discussed alternate realities here here we have a black scott summers and through a lot of my fan fiction ideas <laughs> i've talked about alternate universes but um the squadron supreme whose most notable member is Hyperion. Um, it's also important to note that this universe, uh, that's a, it's part of the larger Marvel Comics multiverse, but it's actually based on the rival company of DC Comics and their characters. Okay, let me back it up and I'll say that again. <laughs> Earth 31916, even though it is one of the many universes in the Marvel Comics multiverse, it is based on the rival company, DC Comics, and their universe and characters, which I thought was very interesting. And um, I think that's a smart idea. And I'm not sure if DC has done the same, but it would be interesting to see what their take on Marvel characters are. Um, outside of the Amalgam comic that they did, it was like a 12-issue run where they combined uh, like uh, Wonder Woman and Storm, uh, I think... Uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, and S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was just a bunch of mixes and matches And back in the 90s. really doesn't matter at this point. Um, this Earth was created by J. Michael Straczynski. <laughs> I said it right, I think. And um, it first appeared in Supreme Power Number 1, again, back in October of 2003. Um, it's been dubbed the Supreme Verse or the Supreme Power which is interesting. It's like, this is around the time where I kind of strayed away from comics because I was in college down south <clears throat> trying to kind of get my foot into the education and the social scene and everything. So it's so interesting to me when I think back on how heavily I was immersed in the comic and nerd culture and then to graduate and stray away from that and you know go to school and to lose touch with that a lot of it had to really do with money it wasn't interest it was i'm in school trying to make it out i really don't have time to be buying these comics and um but so much happened and changed and comics kind of exploded and went different directions than what i was used to around the time that i left them alone and so it's like oh even though these stories have happened some of them still, you know, have a lasting effects to this day. For me, it's it's like finding a um, time capsule, you know, that someone buried back in 2003. I'm ripping it up. And for someone who's been reading comics consistently through the late 90s, early 2000s and to now, 
this is just another story that they read or this is something that they've known about or but for me I'm this podcast is just as much me trying to relate this information to get it out to the masses so that there is more um exposure and ideas that there are other characters of color out there but it's also me kind of digging through my alternate past if i had kept going with comics would all this be second nature to me would i even have started this podcast because would it be like oh okay well i've read these stories i know these people Uh, i digress (laughs) um okay supreme power uh the blur uh is the alter ego of stanley stewart He's a young farm boy who gains superhuman speed as a result of a retrovirus that arrived on Earth at the same time as Hyperion. Um, Hyperion is an extraterrestrial of ambiguous origins. So that's the... (laughs) We already see where this is going. I I said this is um, based off of DC Comics characters, so we pretty much know who Hyperion is supposed to be. And even before I found out that... um, this Earth distinction was based off DC Comics. It felt so familiar. And I was like, wait a minute, is this, are they ripping off? You know, <laughs> it was that kind of double take. So Hyperion's powers are this. He is capable of unassisted flight and is virtually impervious to physical harm. The full extent of his strength has yet to be determined. He's able to fly at speeds greater than an orbital velocity of five miles a second and run at speeds exceeding the sound barrier. So he can fly and run faster than the speed of bullet. <laughs> his hearing is highly acute and he possesses flash vision in which his eyes emit a yet unknown radiation which can see through solid objects and generate intense heat capable of vaporizing matter. So he has x-ray vision and laser vision. Like, come on. <laughs> Not taking apart, taking away from him, but it's interesting seeing him being described this way. Um, his strength level is He's capable of lifting well over 100 tons. So he's, all intents and purposes, you know, Superman. Um, but yeah, it's important to note that this Supreme Verse, the characters are not mutants. And I thought that was an interesting thing, too, in a universe where you have mutants running amok everywhere. You also have super soldiers and things like that. But in Marvel Universe, they are like... I'd say 40, 50 percent of their population, if not more, you know, but now you introduce inhumans and there's a whole thing there. But it is, excuse me, these characters are not mutants. Uh, They are Marvel's version of metahumans with the clear, obvious distinction being Hyperion, who has all of Superman's abilities, (laughs) Nighthawk, um, who I had uh, covered before back in... uh, uh, Carefree Black Nerd Season 1, Issue Number 4. He is the Batman. Because, I mean, his looking, diving more into his story, it's so black and white. It's so, you know, paint by numbers. He is this wealthy kid whose parents were murdered in front of him in an alley. And then the Atlanta Blur is the flash of um, this Supreme Verse. So, um, and I think Marvel did a really good job at taking the blueprint of their rival company. And I don't even think it's like a, like a, um, like stealing. It's more or less like an ode to, or like imitation is the fondest form. No, no, not the imitation is the fondest form of flattery because it doesn't clearly Marvel is doing well on their own, just like DC is doing well on their own. But I think for readers who are fans of both, or even just superficially know, well, I, I love X-Men, but I also love Batman. Like, it's one of those things where they are kind of giving you a little bit of the other thing you like or showing their take on certain characters. And I think that's a smart and interesting idea, and I'm glad that this exists. And now my mission is to track down this entire run of the Squadron Supreme or Supreme Power and like really dive into it on my own because I had no idea that this existed. Again, this came out around the time where I was, you know, slowly fading my way away from comics. Um, So moving on. Upon discovering his powers, uh, Stanley decided to keep them a secret while he trained to be a hero, which again in um, 
with me having my mutant goggles on or my mutant background, that's not something that you did as a mutant in the Marvel Universe. What you do is you try to live your life as a regular person. You don't train. Now, when you're at the Xavier Institute or the Jean Grey Institute or the friggin' Emma Frost Institute or whoever, they teach you and they train you for this, like, paramilitary strike team, whatever. But in this universe, that's not... That's not the way they um they operated. He was just one person who gained these powers from some random virus that um came to town, and I didn't find much on anyone else being affected with this virus, which leads me to believe that somehow he was the lucky slash unlucky one to gain his powers in that way, which again kind of translates to the whole DC metahuman thing where. Batman does not have superpowers. Superman and the Flash, they do. They are metahumans and an alien. Well, in this universe, Nighthawk, Raymond Kane, he has no superpowers either. His superpower is that he's wealthy. You know, a black man who's part of the 1%. You know, that's your power. Uh, but after Stanley got like a lot of um, fame and notoriety as an urban legend known as the Atlanta Blurb, Stanley was approached by a show business agent. <laughs> who offered him a very lucrative production endorsement. So that's another thing that I like about this story is that this is a superhero. Well, like we have the Avengers and we have them backed by Tony Stark. And then um, I don't know if currently, because I'm not reading the Avengers, I think Deadpool is like wealthy and he's financially backing the Avengers or he was like a year ago, but they always get this financial backing from this wealthy contributor. Who's part of the team, even back in the eighties or not, uh, I think late eighties, Warren Worthington, the third, AKA angel of the X-Men. I think in the eighties when they were the original five X-Men were X-Force or X factor. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on this. I listened to Jay and miles explains the X-Men and I, I'm retaining like just a little bit of what, um, of what I've heard over the last years. Um, but he was the financial backer of the X-Men and then you have Charles Xavier. So it's like in the regular Marvel universe, you get these intricate people who are directly tied to, um, the groups that they are funding. Whereas in this case, not only is Stanley not a mutant, um, and he is doing training on his own when he gets his little urban legend status, they're going after him like an athlete. You know, I could just imagine him being a speedster, quote unquote. He, um, gets a Nike deal. You know, he gets, uh, I don't know, an Under Armour deal for his uniform. He gets, um, I don't know, freaking the cover girl. <laughs> I don't know. I just can, I can see that play out. And it's such a, with blackness being so tied to Atlanta through sports, through hair, through fashion, through celebrity, through reality shows, I can just see this scene being played out, this montage of characters in suits coming to his mom's house, Abigail, I believe her name is. And uh, side note, Abigail is a pretty much a fully fleshed out woman. She is his mom. She had no idea about his powers. When she found out, she was very accepting. She is um, a widow. Her husband is deceased. And she doesn't get the full five-point treatment of this is her, this is her backstory, X, Y, Z. But she is more... Um, forefront than a lot of characters who we've seen, uh, especially black women. But I could just see them coming to her house and, you know, uh, Mrs. Stewart, we're here. We want to speak to your, your son, but whatever. We see the work he's doing. I think Nike would be a great fit for him. I think Supreme would be a great fit for him. Like, I just see this and it goes to on two sides. It's a wonderful thing to think of this black character getting all these endorsements. But then it's also the flip side, however you feel about sports and black men, but utilizing this black body and his um, talents, which again ties into the movie Get Out. I'm going to be using that reference for probably from here on out, so get used to it. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it. Um, but it's this whole idea that you can use the talents of this black body to endorse something. Yeah, he's getting money out the deal and fame, but what are you getting from offering him this money and this fame? So it's this whole weird um, dichotomy, this like um 
this push and pull of the happy-go-lucky young super-powered individual who's this, I want to say hyper-masculine, but that's not it, this hyper-black character whose genetic talents have been amped up to a thousand. And then, to even take it a step further, he has this power because he was infected by something that happened because of this white man, this Superman analog. And, you know, the idea that pulling yourself up by your bootstrap in the American dream existing for this black man who got this handout from this white guy. And that may be looking a little deep into it, but hell, that's what comics are. Um, but I did like the idea that this black guy with this power gets his little urban legend status and then he gets slammed with all these endorsements. So it's like you're not just an athlete. Well, you technically are an athlete, but you're not an athlete. You're being approached for. And I don't I can't remember. And I could. Be, if you know of any, please tweet me, uh, email me or message me. But I can't think of any other characters. DC Marvel or what? Well, in the big two and maybe some in indie comics, um, but who have received endorsement deals. Like that's a that's a different way of telling a superhero story. So if you know of any, let me know. Um, black, white, red, green, purple, blue, whatever. I don't care the race. I just want to know um, if there's been anything out there that's similar to this story. So <clears throat> they offered him this very, very lucrative production endorsement deal um, after enjoying a period of like public celebrity and wealth. Stanley was confronted by Nighthawk, who again from Carefree Black Nerd issue number four accused him of abandoning abandoning his dreams of being a hero. So somewhere in there, they had to have had maybe either some contact with each other or Nighthawk being the Batman analog. He maybe researched Stanley and knew of his aspirations or knew of his urban legend enough to know that now this celebrity is taking you away from what you were doing before. What the fuck is the deal? So um, he was convinced that there was more good to be done as a hero than a celebrity. Stanley was. He formed an uneasy partnership with Nighthawk and Hyperion. So you have a sort of trinity, albeit without Wonder Woman, which was interesting. That, But, you know, it's the way Marvel went. So <clears throat> you have this trinity of Batman, Superman, Flash, a.k.a. Hyperion, Nighthawk, and Atlanta Blur. Um, but they did that. They formed this partnership in order to stop this superhuman serial killer. And that happens a lot. I think that was the same, um, kind of storyline in Spider-Verse where, which erupted out of or right before, uh, this last Secret Wars where the Fantastic Four were taken out of Marvel and we had Battleworld, which was a patchwork world of different universes and all that. But that was the Spider-Man storyline. That's where we got Spider-Gwen. And I believe this where Silk originated. I could be wrong. If I am, do not bite my head off. I'm going off of this blurry memories that I have. Um, so they're going after this superhuman serial killer. However... This partnership with Nighthawk effectively ended when Stanley overheard Nighthawk describing him as a house negro. Now, let's take it a couple steps back. My issue with comics um, when it comes to black people and people of color is the color itself. Storm, we know, is a brown skin to dark skin, white-haired, blue-eyed, African goddess slash mutant. She's pretty consistently drawn and colored. So regardless of what she looks like, it's always, it may be slight tweaks here and there, but you know the social consciousness, the general idea is that she's a brown-skinned woman of color. Then you have Misty Knight. She has the big afro. She's brown-skinned. She has the the um, robotic arm. Okay, we got that. Then we get into the males, like Bishop. Now, Bishop originally had that little Jerry Curl mullet-type deal and a lot of times it seems as if they take black characters and they draw white male characters they just make them brown skin and i mean with hair with eye color with everything and it just seems that that's what they've done with nighthawk raymond kane what i see and through this uh this latest run that ended at six issues um i see a brown skin attractive man with a fade who's very stylish he's very with the times but that's a product of being drawn and written and colored by a care um a team of color with 
the Atlanta Blur, when I see him, he's brown skinned, but it's, it feels as if they just throw brown on any character that's black. I personally read him as a lighter skinned black male with fine hair. Now, it could be fine hair because that's just how these white people were drawing him, or it could be fine hair because he has that quote unquote good hair as, as it's seen through the lens of a lot of people. That's, I don't want to get into that. But the idea of House Negro versus Field Negro being, which it says Negro, I would assume they would say House Nigga instead of House Negro, but that's neither here nor there. I bring this up because Nighthawk being this brown skinned man, darker skinned guy who is about his business yes he's wealthy but he's trying to get his fucking work done he looks at Atlanta Blur Stanley Stewart as less than like he's this lighter skinned celebrity kind of high like unfocused young kid and it goes back to that light skin dark skin debate that colorism in the black community and just overall colorism in society that's under the foot of white domination and white privilege because darker skinned people i believe uh hundred three thousand wore a jumpsuit at oh uh, what is the art showcase um it escapes me at the moment but it says why are brown skinned people the worst treated in the nation something to that effect you've seen the images if i find it i'll put it on this show notes for this episode all that being said this whole house negro field negro house nigga field nigga comment and attitude seems to be um kind of effectively delivered in the research I've done. Now, again, I haven't read through the actual individual issues and I plan to do that and maybe give a little update later, but it seems to be very um, um, appropriate in the sense that I, I, I can't remember reading a comic and that being addressed. But this idea that, oh, this young, lighter skinned, fine haired kid who is getting who's essentially a celebrity because Nighthawk isn't a celebrity. Yes, you're, you're wealthy, but nobody knows you're Nighthawk. Nobody, you're not, you're not known for being Nighthawk. You're known one as Raymond Kane, the wealthy guy, but you're independently known as Nighthawk. They're not one in the same. And at this point in time, Stanley Stewart and Atlanta Blur are not synonymous with each other. They are two different people, but Atlanta Blur is getting um, fame and fortune for his talents and being him. Uh, Stanley Stewart is just, you know, a regular guy. He has that secret identity. But that whole idea of House Negro, Field Negro being expressed in a comic book between two characters of color, black characters, black male characters, that was so interesting for me to um, to come across in this research because I'm like, wow, that's, I, you know, a little, you miss a little, you miss a lot. And I've stepped away from comics around this time and shit, I stepped back as a, a fully grown adult. And it's like, wow, this is pretty deep now in the book it may have been an offhanded comment and made specifically to make stanley feel a certain way and quit the team but it screams so much more to me having been someone who's lived these experiences i know um my family much like a lot of black people's families and people of color they come in the range of shades and colors and sizes physiques and talents and where i'm brown skin my grandmother's brown skin my mother's light skin most of my cousins are the same, you know, they range in color, but there's ah, there's something there that I can't really unpack right now because I don't, I want to read the actual run, but it just, that, that kind of threw me and I'm like, okay, I, I, this is interesting. Now, let me see who's the writer of this. Now, is this a white man writing this, you know? Um, is the use of House Negro being this PG because it's a kid's comic or is it because it's not a black person who's writing it and they don't want to say nigga? But I'll leave that where it is. Um, since then, since the House Negro um, incident, <clears throat> Stanley had continued to associate with Hyperion and act as a vigilante. Um, he started investigating. Um, oh, excuse me. He um, he worked with Hyperion. He acted as a vigilante. But after Hyperion's extraterrestrial origins were revealed to the media and to the world by proxy, the Justice Department started investigating other superhumans with similar abilities, such as Blur, the Atlanta Blur. 
and offering them amnesty if they identified themselves and agreed to work for the government. So pretty much if they register who they are and what they can do, which is it's kind of corny, but it's an effective um, storyline. And I don't get tired of seeing that because we saw it in X-Men, I think X2, uh, no, the first X-Men one of them, um, the movie. Uh, we see it in the Mutant Registration Act in the comics. We see it in Civil War One. Like we see it, and it doesn't bother me because it's a, I feel like a pretty accurate depiction of what would happen if we did have superheroes or super abilityed, <laughs> that's a word, persons running around the country, the world. Like I feel like that's something that not only the American government but governments across the nation, um, the country, the world would do. They would try to register these people and you know use them as weapons or at the very least register them and find a way to eliminate that gene or i don't know take it apart or something because it's a threat the unknown is scary and on a global scale like that with people flying around looking through walls shooting heat vision running at the speed of light and you know that's that's cause for concern um let's see after um when the Justice Department wanted to register people, then they offered that amnesty. I believe he took the, let me see, two, 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 Justice Department started investigating. Okay, and they were offering amnesty and if they identified themselves and agreed to work with the government. And that's where I believe he became this government official. Um, after Hyperion informed reporter Jason Scott of the project, the U.S. president gave him a press conference calling the project Squadron Supreme. The team signed their identification and non-disclosure agreement forms and was given its first mission to take out, aka murder, an African general named John Mutbutu. I believe I said that right, because it's M possibly B-U-T-U, Mutbutu. I think that's about right. Um, whose violence, excuse me, whose voice could compel obedience. So, mm, give you that Jessica Jones, the purple man vibe. Now, with that, I forgot to look up when Jessica Jones and the Max line came out. Not to say one bit off the other, but, you know, there are similarities in in comics. You know, when vampire movies get big, there's a ton of vampire movies. When zombies are big, there's a ton of zombie properties. So, not to say one took from the other, but I thought that was really interesting. And the fact that um this man was taken out, that's, again, almost like wasted Potential. This is a an African general who has the ability to compel obedience. Like that's that's cool. Where's his story? That to me that sounds like Magneto level villain, just as an African man, not African American, but an African man. It doesn't say where in Africa, but you know it's an African man. Um, in the middle of the fight, Blur, the Atlanta Blur, met five unnamed African superhumans. Let me stop right there. This is Squadron Supreme. The Blur is in Africa. He meets five unnamed African superhumans. What the... Where the fuck? Where the hell? Where the heck? Where the frick? Where the fetch <laughs> is that story? Give me those characters. I keep shouting from the rooftops that I... What? There's so much untapped potential. Where are the stories of these characters? Um, after three of the five killed Mbutu, the other two informed the Squadron Supreme to leave Africa. Not They didn't specify where they were in Africa. They just said, leave Africa. <laughs> One, however, told Stan that he was a good man. Because I guess Stan had this issue, and I don't know if it was a race thing or what, because it's not really clear in the research I've, I've done, I've gathered, but it's like they were, I feel like through reading this, he may have had issue with one, taking out, killing an African and an African super, superhuman. And because it didn't, for me, I guess it's implied that he was evil and he was compelling obedience, but that's just the nature of his power. I didn't see anything that explicitly said that he was making people kill people, that he was using his power, you know, for evil. He may have been using it for the advancement of his African peoples in, in Africa in general, because they don't specify where. But to me, it's very much that white man's U.S. government attacking this superpower 
that they feel is a threat, but it could be more. It could be more that's explained that I'm just not getting, um, not having read that particular issue. But it's just so I feel like Atlanta Blur, his um, concern was that you're taking out, you're killing, you're ending the life of this black man because of his superpower. Who's to say they won't do it to you? You have a superpower and you're a black man, which again goes back to my ideas on a lot of the uh, hell killings that have happened. Like these are black people, male and female, or men and women and kids and older people and people with disabilities and mental health issues who are seen as a threat when they're not a threat. You're seen as a threat when they're requesting assistance. And then you wind up as another name on a list of those brown people and those black people, those people of color who have just been at the wrong place, wrong time, or have asked for assistance when you probably would have did better just dealing with whatever issue yourself or some trigger happy as, I don't know, entitled person decides to take your life. And that may, um, everything is cyclical. Um, everything, happens there's nothing new under the sun so this story being coming out in late 2003 early 2004 are some of the same issues we see now so i don't know this is my take on what i've read about the atlanta blur in this time um through through this whoever this unnamed african one of five who assured him that he was um a good man must have been able to either read supernaturally or just read through body language or I don't know conversation that uh, Stanley felt some type of way about this. So after that conversation, Stanley told Hyperion that the two men lived in two different worlds, which again goes back to the world you live in that's white, the world you live in that's black. At the um, after the end of this mission, the squadron were ordered to take down insurgents in. Ilam province in Iran. I believe that's it right. Or Yam. Hmm. During this mission, Stanley Stewart wondered if the team was doing the right thing. Hyperion, seeing a large number of buried bodies, informed Stanley that the deaths caused by the insurgents justly warranted the slaughter, which is kind of gives me that George Bush weapons of mass destruction war, whatever, this idea that this superpowered white man decides to take care of this on his own because he feels entitled. He feels like it's his job too. So, um, the team was given the rest, excuse me, the team was given rest and recreation time after this. Um, Stanley Stewart returned home to see his mother, see how she was doing. He learned that in the events of long walk, um, had caused all of his sponsors to boycott him. So this fall from grace is like, you're not, I don't know, just like any celebrity, you know, you say some off the wall shit or do some stuff that they don't feel goes with their brand and you're dropped. So that was kind of a kick in the teeth because this is where it all started for you before Hyperion. Well, before he, him and Nighthawk entered your life, this is what you were doing. You were this urban legend in Atlanta of magnificent proportions because Atlanta doesn't have superheroes. Now, in some indie comics, they may, but you don't see Atlanta superheroes in DC and Marvel. It's, it's not that I know of, not that I've come across in my many years of reading comic books. <laughs> so, um, although his managers claim to have gotten better sponsors, such as Lockheed Martin, later he talked to Kyle Richmond and asked him to join the Squadron Supreme. Richmond declined to offer. All that being said, for me, it just comes down to this man had a decent life. These two... I don't know. And, it was, and I want to say that the two, Hyperion and Nighthawk, entering his life kind of ruined it. But then again, it didn't because if we're coming to you because there's this superhero, this serial killer of superpowered individuals, it's only a matter of time before you get put on that list. And you may be able to run at the speed of light and do all these things. But understand, brother, that if somebody is serial killing superhero individuals, they're doing their research. They have the means to take out whatever advantage you have and murder you. So I don't want to make it seem like he, um, they ruined his life because ultimately I feel like they may have saved his life, but it's just like, ugh, man, you were doing so well. You were the K-1 
King of Atlanta, the Flash of Atlanta, the Atlanta Blur. <sighs> but you get back home after these missions, which you don't even feel. You feel like you're just a passenger and you're you're fulfilling your role. And a lot of it is just like things that have happened to him, like the registration act or whatever it's called, like you having to register and then becoming this government agent. Well, now they're sending you on missions that you don't feel comfortable with. And a lot of it had to do with race him being a black man and dealing with these things. And then there's the human aspect of it, which is, you know, what are we doing in this other country taking care of this problem? Well, yes, there's dead bodies there, but is it our job to police the world? And, um, I don't know, it sounds like Civil War before Civil War. Um, time runs out storyline. In that storyline, the Squadron Supreme confronted um, Earth 616, our Earth's, Earth's cabal, during an incursion and perished in combat right before their Earth was destroyed by the cabal so that theirs could live. And we walk that back. The Squadron Supreme of the Supreme Verse, which is alternate to our Earth, they confronted Earth 616, our Earth's cabal, during an incursion and perished in combat right before their earth supreme verse was destroyed by the cabal so theirs 616 could live that's what that right there that incident walks us back to one to um secret wars and the patchwork earth that came out of that and all these different titles but also to issue number four of carefree black nerd where i discussed raymond kane where he is the black batman he's nighthawk in that run that five issue run or six issue run raymond kane is coming out of this incident so he knows there's something different he knows there's something wrong He's in 616, but he's in Chicago, which is another thing where it's like everything is happening in New York. In the Supreme Verse, everything happened, you know, in Atlanta, in New York, all over. Once that Earth ends and Raymond Kane is the only one who survives as Nighthawk, he's in 616, but he. Oh, I hope I'm not misspeaking. I think he's in 616. Ugh. Either way, if he's in 616 or if the Supreme Verse has ended and he's on another distinctive earth he's still the only one who knows that there was something else that went on like this isn't the same earth that he was on before but he's doing his due diligence he's going after the patriots he's um you know defending chicago he's using his resources to do his job and I, um that's such a fitting ending i don't like that this earth ended because there were so many rich characters that could have been developed. Um, I say bring it back. Just like the mutants in Marvel need to be in their own separate universe. Bring this back. Bring back the Supreme Verse and explore that more. Give me more of the the DC-influenced characters. But also develop your own. These five unnamed black superhumans. What were their powers? What were they doing? What are their backstories? Are they like the X-Men? Are they just superheroes who happen to live in africa some unnamed place in africa but in africa nonetheless like it's a lot that could be done there and i could have an issue with hyperion the white man the alien being the leader of squadron supreme but i don't even have an issue with that because dean's stories seem to be so interesting and so different you know he's in atlanta when i lived in atlanta hell the atlanta skyline nothing like new york's but just imagine a superhero owning that like batman owns gotham like uh, Spider-Man owns New York, you know, like give me that iconic, I don't know, and so much is already shot in Atlanta, so many TV shows, so many movies, how awesome would that be, like, of course, there would be um, drawback of, oh, you're biting off the Flash or whatever, okay, that's fine, the Flash doesn't have a monopoly on being fast, hell, in the DC Universe, he doesn't have a monopoly on being fast, so, so what, give me this, I want to I want to know more about Stanley Stewart and what he went through and his mother and his relationship with his parents and then him becoming an urban legend like because he was an urban legend before he was approached by these sponsors and then what's with the sponsors I'm sure some of them you know saw an opportunity for money but others probably saw okay we can exploit this boy in some kind of way like what what are those stories so and I think this is man a good character and it's so sad that he's dead but 
I don't know. Hopefully he shows up again because I was Googling my ass off and I couldn't find much past Dean's stories on him. There was no all new, all different Marvel where he showed up again. I didn't see anything. If 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 you know of any stories, let me know. But I didn't I didn't find any. You know, um, this is a Marvel property. Give me a Netflix series. You know, Netflix is doing awfully well with their well, aside from. Danny Rand, because I don't think he's doing that well with Iron Fist. But even even his, even if that show flops, that's not going to stop the Marvel machine. Like they're going to keep going. Like that Iron Fist can suck and have the worst ratings. That doesn't matter. You can be assured that you'll probably still get uh, Luke Cage season two. Defenders is going to be lit regardless of how, what the hell happens with Danny Rand. You know, you might fingers crossed we'll get a Misty Night series. Or Daughters of the Dragon with Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. Like, we'll get something, you know. Um, and shit, even with Hulu. Hulu has the runaway schedule for there. And then I believe Freeform has, which used to be ABC Family, has um, Cloak and Dagger. And then you have the Marvel movies. We have the Infinity Gauntlet Part 1 and 2. We have uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I say all this to say that Marvel and Disney aren't stopping. Like, there's, there's no hiccup that can you know, throw the whole machine off course. I doubt that. That being said, give me a Netflix series of the Atlanta blur. Put it in Atlanta. Give it, let, let this man go to a freaking hair show with his girlfriend or just with his homeboy that cuts hair. You know, let me see him in rich Atlanta, in uh, five points, in love five points. Give me, um, give me, give me all the as Luke Cage did with Harlem. Give me Stanley Stewart to Atlanta. Give me that relationship of this melting pot of black gold. Give me this HBCU, Clark Atlanta, Morehouse and Spelman. Give me, give me Atlanta. Like it's so. Uh, Anyone who's been or anyone who's seen, even if you just seen like the Real Housewives of Atlanta or any other Atlanta based reality show, regardless to how ratchet it may be or what you feel about it, it's still apparent that Atlanta has something just like a lot of major cities. But Atlanta has it's almost outside the New York of the South. Don't bite my head off if you disagree. But I lived in Atlanta and that's the way I saw it. Um, and there's a lot to that you can use like. Just like in Luke Cage, Harlem was a character in itself, period. Do the same with Atlanta and give it to a black company. Give it to a black showrunner. And, you know, give me those um, colorism debates within the uh, the universe. Give me, I guess, so much that can be done. Um, even better, give me a movie deal. You know, if you got to do Hyperion and then do a movie of the Atlanta Blur and then do a movie of Nighthawk and then this final battle where it all comes together in the end and you get this nice little franchise of the Supreme Verse. You don't even have to call it because these characters are so distinctively like their own thing. They're not mutants. They're superhumans and they're based off of loosely off the DC characters. This doesn't, outside of having the Marvel logo on it, it doesn't have to tie into anything else. And it can be just as successful. And you have these characters of color. And then not even that, you have an interesting story. Like you have several different missions that these people went on or dealt with that can easily be translated into screen. Like that's, I just feel like my constant gripe is that there's so much that can be done with these characters and with these properties that it's just like they exist for a while and then they're off in the ether or the Remy Ma sheether <laughs> um but yeah having an, an atlanta-based hero in a world in a in a world where every pretty much every multiverse earth that you have in marvel is like based out of new york can we get something different what's where's philly at where's the florida hero where is the Virgin Islands hero. Let me. Where's the Atlanta hero? Where's the Texas hero? Because I, I think Spider Man was in Texas at one point. I'm not sure. 
Again, don't bite my head off. <laughs> but give me more than just 90% New York and then a little bit of maybe Chicago, maybe California, and then this one storyline in text in um in Atlanta. But because Atlanta is one of the blackest places on earth, but it's also this melting pot of so many different people. And it's the same probably with every major city, but Atlanta, you have like I had a homegirl who I worked with, she's from the Ukraine. Like this tall, blonde haired, blue eyed white woman, very thin from the Ukraine. You know, then you had um, some close friends of mine who were from New Orleans and then others from St. Croix and from St. Thomas. And then you had those from New York. Hell, one of my classmates, she was a black girl from Alaska, born and raised. Like it's it's that it's that missed opportunity for doing great things <laughs> with this character. But um, I'll just stop right here because I, <laughs> I want so much more for this character and for these characters and for this universe. Whew, man, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm back, y'all. <laughs> so um, we're going to keep this conversation going. If you know more about the Atlanta Blur, if you know more about Squadron Supreme, if you know more about the Supreme verse, even Hyperion, he's not a character of color, but he's an alien. So I'll kind of make that a loophole. I want to know more about him. Um, tweet me, Carefree Blur, like just hit me up like, man, you need to look at this or you missed this or you missed that or this is interesting because I'm um, sometimes I feel overwhelmed with doing research and finding these different characters. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I don't have anything. And then other days it's like, shit, I'm getting hit in the head with 50 different people I knew nothing about. They may have a one or two issue appearance and they may have a year long run in a book. And I, I enjoyed that uncertainty of doing this research and discovering these characters because it's so um, I know it's just such a um, exciting charge that I get from like, oh, this brown girl or this black boy or this Asian lady or this Hispanic guy. Like, I just I like that. So, you know, email me carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Twitter and Instagram are probably the easiest ways to get a hold of me right away. Um, Instagram is carefreeblacknerd. Again, Twitter is carefreeblurred, carefree, B-L-E-R-D. Um, there's a Tumblr page. If you look at it, don't judge me because I'm still, life is still on my back hard and I'm trying to move some things around. Um, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google me, Carefree Black Nerd. Um, and thank you all for listening. You know, I do appreciate it. Don't say it enough. You guys are the greatest, the greatest. (laughs) So, um, that's been that. Uh, meet me back here next time. Um, also, in the Carefree Black Nerd feed, the Welcome to Riverdale podcast, the weekly discussion of all of the shit that's going on over there in Riverdale. <laughs> um, it's still going on, so make sure you check that out. Um, there, um, I think we're probably on, I don't know, issue seven at the time of this recording, I'm sure. Um, all in all, check that out. Let me know how you feel. Tweet me on that. Um, always interested in a little bit of feedback. And um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So I ended with stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. I'll see you later. All right, y'all.